You can open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, um, and I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the precious gift that is your Son. Even though all will forsake and abandon, he does not. He also speaks to us true words, right words, accurate words about ourselves and our world that at times are difficult to hear, but that we need to hear. Our Jesus, your son, is truly the best of friends to have. And we're thankful for his precious gift of his own body on the tree that enables us to come to you even now and request that you help us learn, learn about friendships and learn about relationships so that we can be better and so that we can glorify you more. We pray this in his name. Amen. There are a few true scarcities in our world today. Only a few, though. A few true scarcities in our world. Some of you are familiar with the baby formula scarcity. Some of you don't care. But your little baby sister does. A lot. Some of you remember the uh, true scarcity of toilet paper in the year of 2020. Some of you made quite fools out of yourself hoarding toilet paper. Now who's laughing? There's also a great scarcity in our world of helpful telemarketers, but that's just a joke. But there's a greater scarcity in our days, and I'm sure you can all guess what it is. There's a scarcity of righteousness, right? There's a scarcity of holiness. These things are hard to find. Harder to find than toilet paper or baby formula. It's hard to find people that care about God. It's also hard to find. There's a scarcity of people that believe in the sufficiency, the sufficiency and reliability of the Bible, What does it mean to believe in the sufficiency of the Bible? It means you rely on it in every problem that you face. You say, Lord, I do not know what to do, and I'm going to seek you in your word for your wisdom. There's also a true scarcity of true knowledge of the self. Everybody's focused on themselves, but nobody truly views themselves through the lens of Scripture, and no one can really see themselves Clearly, there's a true scarcity of true knowledge, of truth, and as a result, there's a true scarcity of of righteousness, of godliness in our world. Um, But there's also a true scarcity of something else, and, and this also impacts your life. There's a true scarcity in our world of good friends. It's it's hard to find a good friend. That's what it means to be scarce. It means these things are difficult to come by. And there's a scarcity in our day of good friends. Not only are they hard to come by, but they're exceedingly valuable. Right now, we're kind of looking at the idea of skillful friendships, and we're going to probably spend most of our time in this study this summer in the book of Proverbs. But just think about what the book of Proverbs has to tell us about a friend. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times. That is a valuable thing. Proverbs 18.24 says, A friend sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
A friend is a valuable commodity and a scarcity in our world today. We all want a good friend, but it's not easy to find them. Why, why is there such a scarcity of good friends? If we were to pull the 2020 analogy that's so annoying to us all, what is the supply chain issue for friendships? Well, there's perhaps a few reasons why friendships are so scarce, good friendships at least. Number one, quality friendships are not automatic. You, you won't automatically be great at being a friend. You're not automatically gifted in friendship. I, I hate to break it to you, uh, but the reason you don't have a good friend right now might not be because that perfect someone hasn't come into your life. It might be because you are not even sanctified enough, ready to be a recipient of such a good friend. It takes a good friend to have a good friend in some ways. And also, we could kind of follow that logic, right? It's not automatic that you're a good friend. It takes a lot of work to become a good friend, and that's why they're so hard to find. And the same thing goes with all sorts of relationships. All sorts of relationships aren't automatic. It takes skill to be in a relationship. You won't just suddenly wake up one day after your marriage and be a great husband or a great wife. God has given you relationships now to grow in the skill of relationships for then. But here's the basic principle for you tonight, and this is the point I want to drive home for you tonight as we think about skillful friendships and the prize of friendship tonight. Think about this idea. As you grow in God's wisdom... You make yourself a hot commodity. As you grow in God's wisdom, you make yourself valuable to others. You make yourself a scarcity. Everybody wants a good friend like that. People will want to be your friend as you grow in wisdom. You will be a hot commodity. There's a few basic questions for you tonight. um, And a few basic questions that you should ask about friendships. uh, Questions you should ask about your friends, and questions you should ask about yourself as well. Here's a question you should ask about your friend or your friendship. Will this friendship help me love Jesus more? As a result of being a friend of this individual, uh, will I be better or worse? Will my love for Jesus be elevated by this friendship or dragged down? That's a question you should ask about your friendship. Is this friendship going to help me love Jesus more? And you should ask questions about yourself as well. Am am I someone who helps others love Jesus more? Or am I someone who drags others down? Now, maybe you answer all those questions negatively about yourself and about your friends. But I have hope for you. And it is the hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ God gives you wisdom that transforms you from within and creates in you skill. He he can produce in you change that can actually turn you into a good friend. But first you need to know what a friend is. And I would like to, this evening, kind of look through, kind of soar through the, the book of Proverbs and just ask the question, what does a good friend look like? I want you to evaluate your friendships, and I want you to also evaluate yourself. Am I a good friend? Am I a hot commodity? Am I valuable? Am I in that little sliver of people in the world called scarce? 
What does a good friend look like? First thing that a good friend looks like, they, or we'll say it this way, they will fear God more than you. You want a friend who fears God more than you. Once again, Proverbs, Proverbs 1, if you're already there, Proverbs is a great book. Proverbs offers great things. Amazing things are offered by the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, for example, will, pro- will teach you how to live skillfully. Who wouldn't want to live skillfully? Right? You know those people in your life. Well, that person's really good at living. Who would want that? Proverbs promises this. Proverbs also says, if you gain wisdom, you gain all of life's prizes. Who wouldn't like to gain prizes in life? That's what Proverbs promises. Proverbs also promises a wisdom that knows what is best to do next. You know how to make wise choices. And it's not about who to marry in three years from now or 12 years from now. It's about what to do tomorrow that will make you into the person that will accelerate, accelerate, and grow, and grow, and, and put you in the right place 10 years from now. Proverbs promises that it will put you on the right path. It will help you choose what is best next. Proverbs and the wisdom that Proverbs offers also promises to help you avoid life's traps. Who wouldn't want to avoid traps? There's a pit over there in the road, and I don't want to fall in it. Who wouldn't want that? That's what the wisdom of Proverbs offers. Who wouldn't want that wisdom? But before you can get to any of those things that wisdom offers, you need something more. And you need to approach Proverbs and you need to approach wisdom wanting something more than just all the prizes of wisdom. You have to want the source of wisdom. And that means you have to fear God most. If you want to be wise, it begins with your relationship with God being right And a right relationship with God looks like fear. Fear. Look look at what it says in Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and discipline, to understand the sayings of understanding, to receive discipline that leads to insight, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. Not only are you receiving good things, but you're also giving things, verse 4 tells you, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. You are, you are a benefit to those around you. Well, how, do you. How do you become this? How do you know wisdom, know discipline, know understanding, have, have sayings of understanding? How do you receive discipline and it leads to increased insight and wisdom? How do you grow to be a teacher and not just a follower? Look at what it says. Let the wise man hear. An increase in learning. Is your ear a hearing ear? That's where it starts. Let the wise man hear, and the man of understanding will acquire guidance. He doesn't have it in himself. Then notice verse 6. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Then notice verse 7. It all begins in verse 7. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you want wisdom, it begins with your relationship with God being right. And maybe you're saying, fear, that doesn't sound like a 
a good thing. That sounds like a terrible thing, but that's the perfect description of how someone actually rightly relates to God. What does it mean to fear God? It means you have a certain trembling and awe before him. That is how you should be before God. If you are in a right relationship with him, you should have a trembling about you. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one in whom I look, says the Lord, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. You know you're in a right relationship with God when every time the word of God is opened, you tremble. Regardless of who is opening it before you, you are still locked in on God's word. Because this is the word of the eternal God who is also my judge. So I tremble before his word. That's what fear of the Lord looks like. I get, I get low and I humble myself before the word of God. Fear also looks like humbling, as you can imagine. It means you are rightly considering yourself before your creator God. It means you view yourself rightly. I am created. He is creator. And that leads, obviously, to humbling. But also, fear of the Lord is, is a good thing. It's a thing we even see in the New Testament. That's a quality of, of a true Christian. Fear of the Lord means you are believing. You believe in him. You believe his word. You trust his word. It's your guide. It's sufficient for you. You're, you're, when you're more afraid of God than anything else, you listen to his word and you believe the good promises of his word and it causes joy to blossom in your heart and in your life. But also the fear of the Lord is a, is a loyalty-like factor as well. When, when you fear the Lord, you are loyal to Him first. You, you fear what God thinks more than anyone else thinks. You, you, you fear disloyalty to God before disloyalty to any of your friends. God is the most important relationship in your life. Your heart trembles before him. You're humble before him. You believe his word and his word is precious to you because it gives you promises about your eternal state before him in Christ. It is wonderful. And that demands your loyalty, your joyful loyalty. And your choices, too, as well, right? I, I must, I must stay in a right relationship with God. And, and notice this, notice this. I said all of that to say, what kind of friend do you want? You want a friend that has a fear of the Lord more than a fear of you. Because God is eternal. God is, God is forever fixed and forever the same. And the more friends you have that are fearing God, the more stable your friends will be. And the more joy you will have in them. And also, if they fear God more than they fear you, they'll actually do you a lot of good in your life. Because they won't fear you the most. And that won't lead to the kind of decisions and the words that they make. But that leads to another description of friendship. Uh, the next good friend, you could say. Uh, they are a sweet bond of the soul. They are a sweet bond of the soul. To those who have chosen to fear God more, most, more than any other thing, there is no greater joy than finding someone else who shares that same heart and love for God. They are a bond of the soul. 
has, honestly, the, the best relationships I have, the sweetest friends I have, are those people that share with me a similar love for Christ and his church. Those are, those are my favorite kinds of people, and I have a bond of the soul with them. I would, I would say that mankind was meant to have a bond of the soul with other people in serving God together. We were meant to be together and have a bond of soul together. But it's very interesting to me. The Bible describes friendship as a bonding of your soul. You have commonality and you have common loves together. And this is what a friend is. Deuteronomy 13.6, for example, says, A friend, uh, uh, describes a friend this way, is someone of your own soul. And think about this. Not all of your brothers will be your friends. But all of your friends will be your brothers or sisters. Right? Because they will share a common loyalty to God. And when you have a friend who fears God more than he fears you, and you fear God more than you fear him, you have a sweet bond of the soul. Uh, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. There is a, a bonding of the soul that is stronger than your life situation. A friend is a wonderful thing. A friend is a wonderful thing. Let's look at another description of a good friend. Uh, They'll make you better uh, than you currently are. Or you could say like this, uh, you are better with a good friend than you are without one. And notice, remember here, I'm talking about good friends. I'm not talking about bad friends. Bad friends, you're better off without them. But good friends, they will actually change your life, change the trajectory of your life, shape you. And that's a good, God-given thing. God didn't create mankind to actually be loners, if you think about it. He didn't create man to be isolated. Even in a perfect world, what did God say about the man who was alone? It's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. God didn't make you to be a loner. God made you to be with people to have a positive, shaping influence on you. Proverbs 18.1 says, he, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He, he breaks out in dispute against all sound wisdom. Uh, God's wisdom, get this, God's wisdom sometimes comes through you through people. And that's his ordained means of helping you, shaping you, changing you. It's a good thing. A friend will make you better than you are alone. Notice just the value here. Turn over to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, and then verse 20. Proverbs sometimes are very tricky, and sometimes they're very easy. This is one of those examples. Uh, He who walks with the wise will be wise. But the friend of fools will suffer harm. But he who walks with the wise will become wise. You'll actually become like the friends you keep. You will become like them. You'll think about life the way they think about life. You'll love the things that they love and you'll hate the things that they hate. Friends have a shaping influence on you. This is more of a a leadership friend perhaps. But notice who you associate with will shape what you will become like. I I say this all the time. I am a result of my brother 
my pastors, and a few of my friends. That's, that's who I am today. But turn over to Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Proverbs 27, 17. And you, you've heard of this one. Uh, Proverbs, 7, 7, 7, uh, uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I just think about that illustration, actually. Oh, sharpens. For, for, a, for a sword, oh, what does it mean to be sharpened? It's everything. If you're a dull sword, you're a useless sword. You're an ineffective sword. You're, you're a wasted sword. You're not useful at all. Nobody wants a dull sword at all. And notice that is the same value that a good friend has in your life. It sharpens you. It makes you useful. It makes you effective. It makes you a hot commodity. Friends sharpen the dull edges of your life. Friends help you become something that you couldn't be alone. And just think about this. You need good friends to become a good friend. Not all of your friends can be like the same category of friends for sure. But notice this. You'll never be a good friend without good friends. If you have no good friends in your life, you're never going to really become a good friend according to this verse. And God ordained it to be that way. You're much better with a good friend than you are without. How about another description, another quality of a good friend? Um, A good friend can handle the heat. A good friend can handle the heat. Can your friends handle the heat? Can you? What is heat? Heat is trouble. Heat is problems. Heat is difficulty. Heat is a pimple breaking out on your forehead. No, that's impossible. A good friend even can't even endure that. No, that's a joke. Um, a truly good friend is known, not in the easy seasons of life, not in the happy seasons of life, but in the hard seasons of life, when it's difficult, when you're not the most lovely of persons in this world. Turn over to Proverbs twenty-five I've got a question for you, Twenty-five nineteen. Have you ever had a really bad tooth problem like one of your teeth had a huge cavity in it or have you ever had like like a broken leg or an injured leg or you know like a sprained ankle or something like that oh when do you really know when do you really know when do you really feel the effect of that bad tooth or that broken leg it's when you know most need them right It's when you're chomping down on that big, tasty morsel and your tooth lands right on the hardest part of it. Or when you're desperately reaching for that Frisbee because this Frisbee will help me win the Golden Frisbee Games that Ethan forgot to make an announcement about, but he will in the end. Um, And if I can just catch this Frisbee, glory will be mine and all of these people will be my friends. Those are terrible friends, by the way. Um, (laughs) And what? You reach out, you step on your foot, and it cannot hold you up, and you fall down and crumple to the floor, and everyone laughs at you. (laughs) 
You know a bad tooth. You know a broken leg when you need it most, right? And, and this is the same thing with a friend. Verse 19 of chapter 25 says this, Like an aching tooth and a slipping foot is trust in a treacherous man in a day of distress. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. So visual. I totally resonate with it, right? A, a treacherous friend is worthless to you because if, if he's not with you in your moment of need, he's not really that helpful of a friend. Notice Proverbs 17, 17 says, once again, a friend loves at all times, though, and a, a brother is born for adversity. Or turn over to Proverbs 18. Pro, pro, turn over to Proverbs 18, 24. This is a fun little... Uh, um, little study here in this section of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.24, notice this, it says, A man of too many friends may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice, you can have a many friends, you can have a lot of friends, and ruin will still come upon you. Or, it's, it's the same Hebrew word, ra, it's right down there in chapter 19, verse 4. Wealth adds many friends. Everybody wants to be the friend of a wealthy person, but a poor man is separated from his friend. Same word, ra. Or, down there in verse 6, everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Or, how about down in verse uh, seven, um, all the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends even distance themselves from him, right? A man of many friends doesn't actually have many friends. Because it seems to say in chapter 19, especially, you know, a lot of people aren't really friends. They're friends who pretend to be friends. Uh, But, but, and, and, and those people who, who trust in the magnitude of their friends and the number of their friends, what? They will come to ruin. They'll be ashamed. Because apparently they did not pick the right kind of friends. But notice, second half of verse 24 of, eight, of 18, there is, however, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Don't focus on numbers of friends. Focus on quality of friends. Focus on a friend who can, once again, handle the heat. They, they stick with you when it is tough. There's a, an interesting picture of Paul when he's being shipped off to Rome in Acts. He is, of course, a hot political prisoner. Nobody wants to lose him. He's, he's dangerous in the Jewish minds. And Luke adds in uh, chapter 27 of Acts, Luke adds that we set sail accompanied by Aristarchus, the Macedonian of Thessalonica. Now this man had already stood with Paul during the riots of Ephesus. You see that in Acts 19. And he may, he probably was also with Paul during his prison sentence because we see Paul reference him again in, in Colossians 4. But, but notice the friendship here, the quality of the friend. Paul is getting on a ship as a prisoner. And his friends, Luke and Aristarchus, stick with him. As a matter of fact, some scholars suggest that in order to stay with Paul, they had to actually become Paul's slaves. That was the only way they could get on board. So they're a slave of a prisoner on a prison ship. Now that is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. All that to say, 
trouble shows you who your real friends are because true friends handle the heat. True friends aren't there just for what they can get out of you, but because of a genuine concern and love for you. They can handle the heat, but let me say it another way. They also sometimes send a little heat as well. Another, a next quality of a good friend, not only can they handle the heat, they will also love you enough to offer you friendly fire. A true friend, a good friend, sometimes sends friendly fire your way. Notice who the Bible describes as a true and faithful friend. For example, um, 20 verse 6 describes them as hard to come by. Uh, Many a man will call out his own loving kindness, but a faithful man who can find, right? The Bible is saying it's hard to find someone who is faithful, but a faithful man is a valuable commodity. Turn over to chapter 27. On the way there, 25 verse 12, just so you know, says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listener. Look at that. A a friend who reproves you is a valuable commodity. He is an earring of gold. He's a valuable commodity. But chapter 27 verse 5 says this, Better is reproof that is revealed than love that is hidden. A true friend will offer his love in reproof sometimes. And it's better. It's better to have proof, reproof that is revealed than love that is silent. Or jump over to 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are, a, are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are even the kisses of an enemy. I love that verse. Mostly because it makes you all grimace, right? Are your friends friends that kiss you? Do you want kissing friends? No, you don't. But you get the the sense of this, right? If, If you're someone who can't ever hear anything hard from friends, if you're someone who can only handle kisses, nice words, kind words, affirming words, you are going to probably weed out all of the true friends that could be the best friends to you in your life. You're going you're gonna to surround yourself with enemies, people that will not love you enough to correctly correct you or just want you for their big friend group. That's who you're going to end up with. Now, it doesn't mean, of course, that all wounds are good. I'm not saying your friends are always wounding you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying a friend knows how to use words, truth, and love to correct you, help you, or sharpen you. That's what a true friend does. A true friend's words may sting, but according to Ephesians 4.29, they sting so that they can build. But a false friend's Words will sting, but according to Ephesians 4, again, their purpose is to corrupt, tear down, and destroy. Do your friends offer you friendly fire to build you up, to encourage you, to shape you, to direct you, to correct you? Those are good friends, and you should value them like gold, like an ornament. Oh, that's an ancient picture, but that is a precious treasure. A friend is someone who reproves you, and those should be friends that you value. I love Psalm 141, verse 
5, it says, let the righteous person strike me. Let the righteous person strike me. This is kindness. This is oil on my head. Do you feel that way? Do you say, I want a righteous person's striking? Then you are someone who is ready for good friends. Say it this way. A true friend is someone willing to risk their friendship with you to protect you from greater danger. That is a true friend. Someone who, to say our first point again, fears God more than you and loves you enough to share God's word with you. Let's look at one more, one more picture of a, of a true friend, a good friend. A, a true and a good friend fears God more than you, of course. They are a sweet bond of the soul. Uh, they make you better than if you are alone. They can handle the heat. They sometimes send friendly fire. But one more thought, just to leave you with, A good friend can be lost. A good friend can be lost. You'll lose friends if you have a lack of forgiveness, a lack of a willingness to seek restoration. You will lose friends. Chapter 17, verse 9 says this, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close companions. Notice there is a loss of friendship there because of a lack of forgiveness. And you may say, how how is that? Well, I mean, you see repeats there. Is that referring to gossip? Yes, gossip can ruin close friendships for sure. It ruins others and it can ruin your own friendships for sure by repeating matters to other people that you shouldn't say at all. But cover here, cover here is, is, really, is really speaking about an unwillingness to cover something. It's an unwillingness to offer forgiveness to someone who asks. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Notice, notice. Uh, love hears of transgressions and hears of requests for forgiveness and love covers that, says, I will forgive that. But what does hatred do? Hatred wants to be separate and hatred repeats. Maybe to yourself, maybe to someone else, but hatred doesn't want a relationship. When you are unwilling to forgive someone who has requested of you forgiveness, you will lose friendships. Hatred hangs on every wrong to extend the separation, but notice love seeks restoration. You will lose friends if you lack forgiveness. You will also lose friends if you lack self-control. Turn over to 27 verse 14. You will lose friends also if you don't have this thing in your life called prudence. You will lose friends if you just talk about everything you want and don't ever care about what you're saying. You will lose friends. Proverbs 27 verse 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. What's this guy's problem? He has no prudence. He has no consideration for the timing of a thing, for the timing of a word. When you don't care about your words, or when you use them, you will lose friends. 
When you just talk and talk and talk and talk, you will talk friends right out of your life. Especially if you talk to them early in the morning. Just, that's free. A good friend, a good friend perhaps isn't someone you should tell everything to. Perhaps there are some thoughts that you should just kill before they ever come out of your head. That behavior will separate them from others, perhaps, but it will also probably push them away f- from you. Uh, sinful words, selfish words can hurt very deeply, and yes, they can even cast out friends from you, even good friends. I want to end here with just a quick thought. When you look, when you look at this description of friends, of a good friend, what kind of friend do you see? You see someone for sure who is loyal to God before they are loyal to you. You see someone for sure who is willing to be close to you. You see someone who is able to actually make you better than you already are. And you see someone who will stick with you through thick and thin. You also see someone who is willing to send fire your way to improve you, to sanctify you. But do you know what you see most here in this list? You see the sufficiency and the wonder and the joy and the privilege of having Christ as your friend. We don't often talk about that and we maybe shouldn't because we cheapen the word friendship. But here we believe that Jesus is better, the best one that you can have. And the best thing is he is a friend that cannot be lost regardless of how much sin you bring to him. He is one that sticks closer than anyone. And through him, you can grow in your friendship. Through him, you can be a better friend. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we're thankful for this lesson. We pray that you would use this to help us even begin to think about what it means to be a good friend and and also begin to think about what it means to be a very bad friend. And I pray that we would be shaped by more of a love for you and a fear of you than anything else. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.